Explore presents a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman. Chapter 28 to Kabul and the Khyber Pass, 26th of September to the 4th of October 1977, Afghanistan, Pakistan. Any more tea in the pot? Alec asked as he ate the fresh bread he'd bought from the baker that morning. The baker's business was booming with the custom from the thriving hotels and visiting overlanders. Yes, yeah, sure. I carefully poured us both another mugful, avoiding splashing our Bible, which lay open on my lap. Alec, listen to what it says here in Colossians. This is what I have asked of God for you, that you will be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love, and that you will have the rich experience of knowing Christ with real certainty and clear understanding. For God's secret plan, now at last made known, is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the mighty untapped treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Gosh, that says it in a nutshell. When I think back to when the Osbournes gave us the Bible, its meaning seemed totally locked up. Yes, now we can take on board so many nuggets from God's truth. I reckon it's knitting us together more. I feel much more willing to forgive you when you're a pain in the neck. Me? Now when would that be? I said with a mischievous giggle as I tickled him, running my fingers around his waist. Oh, you know, when you fall asleep sometimes as we're driving along, I bring you all the way out here to see these marvellous places, and there you are nodding away, while I'm trying to keep the Land Rover straight on the rough roads. You know, see, you tickled me back and I giggled even more. What's going on in there? called Simon as he knocked on the back door. Sounds like too much fun to me. Alec opened the door and climbed out. I followed. Morning, Simon. What's up? Alec said with a smile. Well, I was just chatting with John Luke and we're thinking of driving into Bamian after lunch. Will that suit you too? Alec looked at me and I nodded in agreement. Early that morning, our three Land Rovers left in convoy to drive the 40 miles over a mountain pass at 12,000 feet, down through another narrow gorge and out onto the broad, sweeping Bamian Valley. We all parked at the Overlanders' camp by the Caravan Hotel at the foot of a long stretch of magnificent rocky cliffs. The six of us went to the hotel restaurant for tea and doughnuts, which we enjoyed while sitting in comfy wicker chairs around a smart table. Bamian Valley was famous for containing the world's tallest standing Buddha at 173 feet, equivalent to the height of an 18-storey block of flats. A second Buddha stood at 121 feet. They were hewn out of the sandstone cliffs in the 6th century BC and were protected inside their own arch within the cliff. There were also caves in the cliff face that had been Buddhist monasteries at one time but now the local people dwelt in many of them. So, Jan, are you coming? asked Alec. No, you go on up, 
I'll wait down here, I said, knowing that I might freeze halfway up and not be able to move up or down. Alec followed the others to the stairway entrance. He paid the soldier for his entrance ticket and began to climb the stairs cut into the sandstone. Within fifteen minutes he had climbed all the way up to the top of the tallest Buddha and I could see him as he walked around the Buddha's head. The face was unfortunately no longer intact above the mouth. From that vantage point Alec had an extraordinary view across Bamian Valley. The following day we all set off in convoy out of the valley to enter a deep gorge between the mountains following the course of the river. In some areas the gorge widened and grass-thatched houses stood on the verge. Camels followed a track up a hill in the distance. At Doabi Meki Zaran, we traversed the river via a bridge and the track led us to the most beautiful valley of all, Ajir. The green fertile valley was bordered by imposing mountains of many shapes and colours, brown, grey, green, pink and white, like bottled layers of sand. In one area, the mountains were like dominoes of fallen grey rock lying against each other. A fast-running river flowed through the valley, churning up the riverbed. The valley was terraced farmed with each plot of land watered by an irrigation system of open water channels. Cattle, sheep, goats, donkeys and horses grazed contentedly on lush pastures. At one village a boy threw a stone at the Land Rover and Alec stopped to tell him off, but he quickly scarpered. Alec then heard air hissing and found the right rear wheel was punctured so we set about changing the wheel right there on the narrow track. The other two Land Rovers were blocked in behind us. We'd not seen any other traffic for at least an hour, but, typical, a local truck suddenly turned up all in a rush to pass us by. The driver and several of the passengers decided to help, and one man managed to wedge the jack in the wrong place under the Land Rover. For Alec, being a man who prefers to work quietly on his own, this was extremely irritating and only lengthened the whole process. Eventually, we were all on our way again and we drove to the end of the valley where the mountains curved around in a dead end. We came across a modern bungalow, the former Shah Mohammed Zahir's retreat. He was ousted in a coup d'etat in 1973. The building was being used for tourists and we could stay for $20 in the modern bungalow or pay $10 to sleep in our own vehicle parked alongside. The high costs and the manager's villainous looks had us continue on along the dirt track, where we discovered there was indeed a way through the wall of mountains. Afghanistan's landscape outdid itself at every turn. You thought you couldn't be more impressed or surprised by any other formation of rocks, cliffs, rivers and so on. Now we entered a hidden, narrow, formidable gorge that was awe-inspiring. We drove as far as we could until we came to a lake where the track virtually disappeared and we left our vehicles to walk and explore the area. Mighty cliffs towered above us. A waterfall gushed forth from a natural spring flowing down the rugged rocky wall and splashed luxuriantly into the lake that we walked alongside. 
What a privilege to be standing there in the midst of a secret treasure of natural raw beauty. Suddenly, two men from the Shah's retreat, four miles away, mysteriously turned up on foot. One of the men, the villain, was holding back a jet-black guard dog that growled and snarled its teeth at us. They warned us that we couldn't stay there for the night, as we had planned to do, falling rocks apparently, but who knows what story they made up to force us to leave that mystical location. We obliged and actually responded to the men's request to give them and the dog, which by then was wagging its tail, a ride back to the Shah's retreat. We declined again to stay there, but instead chose to head back to the nearest village to park for the night. By then it was dark and we were only too glad to call it a day. Having explored the fascinating route across the Hindu Kush, we were eager to reach the capital city of Kabul. It took two days to drive the final hundred or so miles across spectacular terrain following the dirt track. At one point, we stopped to give a ride to a policeman, his wife and their sick child who needed to go to the hospital. Finally, we reached the main tarmac road, heading into the city and paid the required toll fee. As always, we were glad to travel on a firm surface again, for a while at least, just to catch our breath. We delivered the family to the hospital and then searched the city to find the Green Hotel, the Overlander's campsite. So what did they say? I asked Alec when he returned with Jean-Luc and Martin after their early morning mission on the next day, a Saturday. They had been to check in at the Pakistan and Indian embassies in the city. No problem, we don't need visas, after all, Alec replied. Are you going to be finished with the washing any time soon? Why, what's the rush? Well, you're going to love exploring the city, with all the busy streets and lots of interesting stuff for sale. We don't want to waste time hanging around here. OK, so if you string the washing line up between those two trees over there then I can quickly peg out the clothes. Alec obliged and I soon had everything sorted out and was ready to go. Just a short walk from the Green Hotel, we found fresh fruit and vegetable stalls, a colourful display of apples, pomegranates, pears, melons, strawberries, broccoli, beetroot, cauliflowers, red and white cabbages teased our appetites. Then we saw the stalls that sold traditional local crafts a temptation to any souvenir hunter. Carpets, wall hangings, woodcrafts, clothes and jewellery were all on display. We checked in at a fabulous bakery that sold bread, croissants, buns, cookies and cakes and came away with a selection of goodies. Venturing along to the main bazaar that was located near to the river, we found streets of countless stores stashed high with goods. Many fabric shops run by Indian merchants. Shops selling nothing but teapots, and then a whole street of shops stocking new car spare parts. In a back alley, we found traders dealing in second-hand spare parts, taken from old or crashed vehicles. Our guys were all smiles. That evening for supper, I fixed tomato soup with herbs, followed by tuna fish, bean shoot salad, tomatoes, apples, radishes and a sprinkling of sultanas. Then fresh strawberries with milk and sugar, enjoyed with a coffee. Scrumptious. 
We spent three days in Kabul doing maintenance and chores. Plus, I pressure-cooked fresh beetroot, then sliced and bottled it in vinegar. I made a few particular purchases as well. A supply of toilet rolls, as we'd heard they were expensive in India and of poor quality. A batch of razor blades to use as future bartering currency. Plus 12 tins of powdered milk for an excellent price. I bought a comfy pair of baggy cotton trousers, plus a nomadic tent trim of woven burgundy wool with a geometric design, about a foot wide and ten feet long. This would normally be wrapped around the exterior middle of a Bedouin tent as decoration. It would be interesting to see how I could use it in the future when we were no longer nomads. Alec and Jean-Luc spent time together at the back street's second-hand spare car parts dealers and mechanics workshops. Our vehicle had a whacking thick leaf added to the rear spring since it had broken a few days previously. Alec hoped it would fix the blighter for good. The punctured wheel was repaired and Jean-Luc's exhaust pipe welded. Alec's nifty, ingenious repair using a clipped-on, empty tomato can had initially solved the problem by muffling the raucous din of the blown exhaust. On the Tuesday, we were up at six. We did our morning ablutions, had breakfast, and were packed ready to leave the Green Hotel an hour later. We would exit Afghanistan and enter the northern frontier of Pakistan via the infamous Khyber Pass. Jean-Luc and Martin had a different itinerary planned, but we would rendezvous with them in Amritsar, India on the 15th of October. Simon and Rose also had their own schedule. After refuelling the tanks and six jerry cans, we took the highway through the Palpa Pass and into the Kabul Gorge. The good surface road took us through several tunnels in the mountains. Camel trains, cattle, donkeys, sheep and goats were also using the road, being herded along by their owners. The mountains rose steeply as we drove through a gorge that opened out onto a plateau. A river fed into a lake which in turn was used to irrigate the farmed land. It was very hot at 90 degrees Fahrenheit. At the town of Jalalabad, where the main street was lined with an avenue of trees, Alex stopped and bought us each a glass bottle of Fanta Orange to quench our thirst. Further on, nomads were camping out in white tents on the grassy rolling plains and their cattle and donkeys grazed nearby. We were delighted when we reached the Afghan border and had no problem leaving the country. We had expected the Land Rover to be thoroughly searched for contraband. The border post into Pakistan was buzzing with life. Tea houses, shops and many money changes. The passport office was straightforward, but the customs officials were so slow processing all the vehicles and people. In the end, they just checked our documentation and we were cleared to go, having paid the toll to drive through the Khyber Pass. Dusk was creeping up on us as we continued onwards through the ominous, rugged, mountainous terrain. It was not the best time to venture there. Following in the trail of Darius I, Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan and many other warriors, we could see how the local tribespeople had the advantage in this strategic military location. 
mindful of the Western movies of cowboys and Indians setting up an ambush for their enemy, it was easy to picture how the landscape lent itself to such tactics. We passed fort-like villages, but there were few people about. Once across the pass, without any untoward incident, we stopped at the toll gate and handed in our ticket. Then a man asked us for a ride to Peshawar. We directed him to climb into the back of the Land Rover. By the time we reached the main city, it was pitch black. As we drove near to the centre, the man asked to get out. He offered to buy us a cup of tea, but we declined, knowing we needed to find somewhere suitable to park for the night. The local police were helpful, but we had difficulty understanding one another, even though they were speaking English. Eventually, we arrived at the Dap Tourist Bungalow, which was sadly in a state of disrepair with broken windows. Inside, there was a tap four feet above the floor that served as a shower, and the toilet was smelly due to the water being available only two hours in every 24. It had been a tense, stressful day as we had expected the worst scenario at any moment along the journey. Feeling shattered, we were glad to be able to unwind in our own private living space in the Land Rover. I prepared an easy supper and soon afterwards we settled in bed for a well-earned sleep. Total distance driven, 25,869 miles. You've been listening to a reading from Strangers Like Angels with a devil or two to boot by Alec and Jan Foreman, presented by Explore More. Explore More is an adventure lifestyle brand founded on the 1977 travel stories of Alec and Jan Foreman with a passion to inspire people to explore more of the world, engage with others and embrace global cultures to ensure a greater understanding for each other and enable positive progression. Discover great products and more on exploremore.com. That's E-X-P-L-M-O-R-E dot com.